are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. Elijah flees to Horeb. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Gail, thank you so much for reading scripture this morning. So good to hear from you. Today we have an amazing passage to dig into. 
first I want us to kind of put ourselves in a place of what Elijah might have been feeling at the beginning of this story. Several years ago, I started running. Now people might ask me if I'm a runner and I would say no, but I run. Meaning that like sometimes I get out my phone and pull up the Couch to 5K app and go for a run. My brother, on the other hand, he's a runner. He ran in college and just sticks with it. So when I was living in Indiana, there is a race every year called the Indy Mini, and it's a 13.1 mile race, half marathon. I would not call that Mini, but that's what it's called. So as you can imagine, living there and my brother convinces me and my brother-in-law convinces my sister that we should all run this half marathon together. And what's part of it is cool is you get to run around the Indy 500 racetrack. And so I start training for this thing. And there's like a certain level of confidence that I can do this. And then we get to packet pickup. It dawns on me that this is going to be a long, hard race. You see this picture of my sister and I, we, all of a sudden we were like, uh, we're not sure how we actually feel about doing this. So we get there and I remember running, like you get to a point where you run around the track, which is pretty cool, but it's really hard to run on because your feet stick to it because of the, the friction that they want for the cars when they're on the track. So it's pretty tough run up to that point. And then I look up and there's this big banner that says only eight miles to go. Well, I had only run seven miles total in all of my training, like at one time. And so I just remember thinking at that point, I don't think I can make it. This is not going to work. So I'm running with my brother, David, and he sticks with me the entire time. He could have been miles ahead of me, but he just stayed with me in the last three miles seemed to last for an eternity. I did not think I was gonna make it to the finish line. My brother kept saying, you can do it, Megan. You can do it, come on. And I felt like I was on like an imaginary leash, like with my brother just pulling me the last three miles. There's a man behind us in the last mile and he's breathing like, <gasps> like really gaspy. And I started doing that too. And my brother had to remind me like, Megan, just breathe normally. It's gonna be okay. Finally, that finish line was in sight and I stumbled through that line, grabbed a banana and some water and barely made it to where my family was waiting. I felt like I had come to the end of myself physically and it had also been this mental and emotional fight to the end. If my brother had not been there, I don't know how long it would have taken me. There's this mental picture of finishing a race with absolutely nothing left it's how I felt at different points in my life. Times in leadership when I've just felt totally exhausted, emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually. Just so dry that there was nothing left in the tank. There are specific conversations that I can think of with mentors who asked me how I was doing, and I was just like, I'm done. I don't know if I can keep going. Have you ever had the experience of coming to the end of yourself? maybe physically, emotionally, or spiritually? Have you ever felt like you couldn't do one more step, couldn't change one more diaper, you couldn't go to one more work meeting? You just wanted to throw in the towel, so to speak, and walk away from the situation that you're in? Maybe you've looked at someone close to you and just said, 
I'm done. In some form or another, we all have moments when we didn't think we could keep going and we didn't want to even if we could. Maybe some of those moments have happened even during these last few months of social distancing. I remember seeing my husband Jeff during like week two of this. He asked me how I was doing. I was like, well, I'm okay now, but I don't know how I'm gonna be four weeks into this. And now, three months later, we are finally planning to get together for church in person. That feeling of being isolated or alone is enough to bring us to the end of ourselves, to just want to give up. We don't even have to be physically alone in a room. We can be surrounded by people and we can still feel intensely lonely. In our scripture passage today in 1 Kings 19 that Gail read for us, we find a man named Elijah who looked like he once knew nothing but success and victory and all of a sudden he is at the end of himself, feeling this deep sense of loneliness, ready to throw in the towel. After quite a while, a prophetic ministry, he is on the run for his life from a Baal-worshipping queen named Jezebel who wants him dead. If you've been with us during this series, you know that we've been studying the life of Elijah, this man whose job it was to bring the message of God to the people, and his very name means, My God is Yahweh. Last week, we looked at the passage right before this one, and Elijah has cried out to God, and God has burned up an altar of wet wood in front of all of these prophets who are calling out to Baal. And they had the same ask, but a different result. You would expect Elijah at this point to be running around telling everyone what had just happened about the powerful God that he serves. And instead, he is running for his life because Jezebel has a pretty good track record of killing prophets. He sets off for Mount Horeb, which some translations use, and others Mount Sinai. Scholars think it's the same place, but he runs to this mountain where Moses received the Ten Commandments. He gets from Jezreel to Beersheba, about a hundred miles. He just goes as far away as he can get from Queen Jezebel. And exhausted, he lies down under a broom tree and he tells God he's had it. He's at the end of his rope and he says, God, take my life. I'm so done. And right there, Elijah died. No, he didn't. Right there, God says, get up, Elijah, back to work. Not yet. Fresh baked bread over coals and a jar of water appear. Oh, just the smell of freshly baked bread might be enough to get me to stand up from under that tree. Imagine the goodness of a loaf of bread, maybe some sourdough or 12 grain or honey wheat from Diamond City bread in an ice cold jar of water after a long hot journey showing up next to Elijah's landing spot. A little while later, Elijah's woken again. And this time, the angel comes to the man who said, I've had enough and says, get up and eat so that you have enough strength for the journey. Elijah does so and he eats until he's content and then this time he's off 40 days and 40 nights to make it to Mount Sinai. Well, why is he going there anyway? Well, this mountain, referred to the mountain of the Lord, is a place where God has made his presence known to his people. I encourage you to look up Exodus 33 this week and read the story of where God meets Moses, this same mountain. 
It's as if Elijah, in the middle of his distress, is so desperate to know that God is present, to have a face-to-face conversation with him that he is willing to go to great lengths to get there. Maybe you have had a moment like this when you've come to the end of yourself and you find yourself running to a place where you know God showed up. There's something so powerful about place, isn't there? In his head, Elijah knew that God was everywhere. In fact, he heard that word from the Lord when he was laying under an ordinary broom tree, but he wanted to be where he knew God's presence had been made known to the people before him. When he finally gets there, 40 days and nights later, he goes to sleep in the cave and he's awoken again by the word of the Lord. There is irony in the question that God asked him. He says, what are you doing here? It's as if God is suggesting that Elijah is not where he's supposed to be. Elijah gives the Lord the same speech he gave earlier. He replies, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And God's response is the part of the story that you might be most familiar with. The God who has been present with Elijah the entire journey now tells Elijah that he will make his presence known. Go out and stand before me on the mountain. The Lord is about to pass by. For a guy who feels totally alone, ready to throw in the towel, I cannot imagine what it must have felt like to hear these instructions in a place that could have been the exact same place where God revealed his glory to Moses. The winds came. The winds came so strongly that they shattered rock. Now, I've been thinking lately that it's pretty windy in Minnesota, but I have not seen any rock shattered. No sign of the Lord in the wind. Then the earthquake came. Not yet. Finally, the fire. Is God in the fire? Like in the burning bush when he talked to Moses or that pillar of fire by night that led the Israelites through the wilderness or the fire that Elijah had just seen burn up the wet wood in the face of Baal's prophets? Nope. And then a gentle whisper, a still, small voice. In Hebrew, the description here is of a voice, a sound, a barely audible whisper. With his face wrapped in his cloak, Elijah hears the Lord ask the same question again. What are you doing here, Elijah? Even after Elijah's experience of God's presence in such a unique way, Elijah gives the same speech. I am on the run for my life. I am done. But in that whisper, the Lord disrupts Elijah's view of who God is. God is as personal as he is powerful. God is as relational as he is radical. Not just a God who is out there, but a God who is right here. I was visiting a friend recently 
and she was about to have her baby and she has a little three-year-old and a five-year-old and we were eating lunch together and all of a sudden the three-year-old starts whispering and it's hard to understand what he's saying so you kind of like lean in then my friend explains that with the new baby coming they have been practicing whispering which is a very important skill for a three-year-old who's about to have a newborn brother i imagine elijah hearing the whisper of god like a father speaking in a quiet tender compassionate voice to his child god loves him so much he loves elijah so much that he doesn't want him to stay in this cave alone and defeated god comes and reminds elijah that he is with him and elijah's work is not over go back where you came from god says I've still got ministry for you to do, but you're not the one who's going to see it through on your own. I've got a team of people who are going to help you, and they're going to carry it forward. And what happened on the mountain with the prophets of Baal, that was not a one-and-done victory. This is going to be a slow process. It's going to be a political process and appoint kings. And there's someone else that's going to carry the work of being a prophet that you've started. Elisha. I want you to appoint Elisha to carry on the work. We see in this story a God who is present to Elijah's needs, emotionally, physically, spiritually, and a God who is not just present in the miraculous fires and food showing up in unexpected places, but he is present in the ordinary and the quiet in a barely audible whisper. This is the same God we see in Jesus. Jesus comes to people with tenderness and compassion. One author, Mark Giaconelli, describes Jesus' ability to be present as Jesus coming and he looks at people and he takes a long, loving look at the real. He sees the hurt, the broken, the marginalized, the people who say, I'm done. In the middle of a crowd, Jesus feels a woman touch his cloak a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. He sees Zacchaeus up in a tree. He put mud and spit in the eyes of the blind man. He feeds the hungry. Jesus is never in a hurry. Interruptions did not exist. Instead, he existed to be present to the one in front of him. He took a long, loving look at the real and sees each person right where they are. Jesus promises in John 14 that the presence of the Holy Spirit is going to dwell in each one of us as we put our trust in Jesus. The very presence of God dwells in us as we trust in Jesus. The work of the Spirit in our lives today is often that still, small voice. It guides us, convicts us, and gives us the ability to be present with others in a way that reflects the character of Jesus. We often make the work of the Spirit so much more mysterious than that. Even when we hear the word Spirit, we might think of some ghostly being from a movie. But in reality, it often looks much more ordinary, more like a whisper that prompts us to notice the presence of God in the ordinary. Have you ever said or thought, I don't think that was a coincidence, or I was just in the right place at the right time? That is the ordinary work of the Spirit. 
one thing that God has been teaching me in the midst of quarantine and this weird season that we're in is the importance of being present. Our summer calendar had been filled with summer weddings and trips and camp, all the things. And beyond that, when we might be planning fall, normally we kind of look at each other and say, well, I'm not sure what it will look like. Our calendar hanging on a refrigerator that's usually full is pretty blank. When you can't plan, it can be both harder and easier to be present. The anxiety of the unknown can make it harder to be present in the moment, but when I'm able to let that go, I am so much more able to rest in today and be present to God and other people in ways that I have never been able to before. When I read stories about Jesus, I see a God who shows us what it's like to be present. I see this quality in kids. Kids, you are often so much better at this than adults. You know what it is to be present. If you have ever run through a sprinkler or watched a kid run through a sprinkler. Remember we had this Fisher-Price red fire hydrant sprinkler that we would use in the summer in our backyard. My brother and sister, friends from the neighborhood, we would just spend an entire afternoon running through the sprinkler. Just sheer joy and delight. There were no thoughts of the water bill or the potential grass damage or what time it was. We were just playing outside on a hot summer day, not thinking a thing about what was next. When was the last time you felt fully present, completely engaged in the present moment? I wanna close by asking two questions. The first is this, what would it look like for you to be present to God this week in both the noise and in the quiet? We are all living the shared reality, but we are living it in different ways. For some of us, it is much quieter than others. You may be feeling very alone even today and knowing that people are getting together for church and you aren't able to or have chosen not to, that could even heighten your awareness of feeling alone today. For some of us, our lives are still loud with work and family and errands and house projects. No matter what season you are in, what would it look like to be present to God this week? In Elijah's life, God came to him through the spoken word. God still speaks to us in his word. I encourage you, pick up God's word this week. Men, on this Father's Day, challenge you, let your families see you reading scripture and in prayer. Each of us, how can we make room to spend unhurried time with God? Second question is this, who is the Holy Spirit asking you to be present with this week? Think about how you feel when you are in front of someone who knows how to be present. Does that make you feel valued and loved? In the contrast, think about how you feel when you know that someone's not quite present, when they're looking at their phone or not making eye contact or just totally distracted. And even from six feet away, if you're talking to someone, you can tell if they're in a hurry. As I asked Jesus, to help me answer this question, people across the city and country are celebrating 
Juneteenth today. And if you're like me, you might have just learned what this is, or you might be thinking, what is that? If you're unsure, I encourage you to just go online and look it up. I learned that in 1996, Minnesota became the fourth state to recognize Juneteenth as a holiday and since has held one of the biggest Juneteenth celebrations in the country. How have I missed this? Sometimes I feel like I've spent too much of my life in the cave of privilege. I believe God has asked me to be present to the stories and experiences of my black and brown brothers and sisters, to take a long, loving look at the real. In the protests and violence, we are seeing people, black and white and brown, all colors, rising up and saying, we are done. We are done with racial injustice. Am I done? My heart says yes. But what does that mean to put that into action? I'm going to start small by doing what I know to learn and read and listen. And my prayer is that God would give me eyes to see what he sees, to look at people with the tenderness and compassion with which he comes to Elijah. Every day when I wake up, I want to ask the Holy Spirit, who are you asking me to be present to? Will you join me in asking this question? It's not just individual, it's a whole community thing. As a church, we start asking the Holy Spirit to lead us to a church that we could be in a long-term relationship with as we seek to grow in our understanding of what our Black brothers and sisters in Christ experience. And on Friday, a few people from the Y Church met with a pastor, Dr. Russell, at Greater Friendship Missionary Baptist. It's down in South Minneapolis. And we are so excited to see where God takes this new partnership. What would change if we each decided to ask this question more? To trust the work of the Holy Spirit, that still small voice to speak to us in the ordinary activities of our day. Elijah can't stay on the mountain. He has to go back to his ordinary work. Go back to where you came from. And that journey could be filled with fear of the unknown as Jezebel is still on the hunt. But now, no matter what happens, Elijah has his direction from the Lord. The reminder of not only God's presence, but God also reminds him that there are 7,000 others plus three capable leaders who recognize God as Lord, and Elijah is not as alone as he thought he was. And neither are we. Even when we come to the end of ourselves, even when we are done with living in the middle of a pandemic, even when we aren't sure if we can face another day, Jesus meets us face to face in the ordinary sprinkler running, driving to work, mowing the yard, reading books, cooking dinner moments. It just might be in a barely audible whisper that we hear the Spirit speak. Jesus calls us to be present with him and present with one another. We aren't God. We can't be present for everyone. But as we spend time with Jesus, we can trust that the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit will show us who to be present to each day. How are you going to be present with God this week? 
And who is the Holy Spirit leading you to be present with? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you speak in ordinary ways. God, give us patience. Give us space to listen, to pay attention to where your presence is moving in our lives. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.